Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. If you take your Bibles, let's go to Judges chapter number 9 this morning, Judges 9. And uh, we are going to get right back into our series. Our series is Relentless. And uh, not the fact that the series won't stop, but that's the title of the series. It's Relentless. And uh, we're going through and studying out uh, the book of Judges. And if you've been with us through the series so far, then you'll recall uh, what's transpired in the story. And uh, just to kind of get us all on the same page, if a reader was coming to the book of Judges, uh, they would need to know a few things to kind of have a a working order of the book. The first of all, a couple of things we would need to know is, number one, that um, the children of Israel or the nation of Israel, uh, all throughout Scripture, they were kind of having this um, relationship with God that we called a cyclical relationship, just kind of going around and around and around. And a lot of that uh, was attributed to the nation of Israel's um, desire to do their own things rather than following God. If you'll recall, God had brought the nation of Israel through Abraham. He had brought them to a land. We would call it the promised land. It would be there in the Middle East where Israel is now and much of the land around it that God had promised to the children of Israel. And he had told them, I want to bring you here because I want you as my people, to experience a fulfilled relationship with me. I want to use you to show the world who I am. And there's a number of reasons of why God brought them to the promised land. While the children of Israel, they would be in the promised land and follow God, and then they would leave the promised land and not follow God. They would go back into the promised land and follow, and they just kind of did that back and forth. Well, the book of Judges is a time when the children of Israel are actually coming back into the land. Now, On this particular instance, when the children of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua and Moses, were coming back into the land, God had told them, I want you to accomplish two specific tasks. When you come into the promised land, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to either drive out or destroy the enemies of God that are in the land. You see, when the children of Israel had fled, had left the land, Different people groups, the Amalekites and Midianites and Canaanites and Perizzites and Hittites and all of the ites. We call them the ites and the Philistines because it's a bunch of ites and then the Philistines. We could come up with a nickname for them. So that'd just take too long. Anyway, they came, they, when, when the children of Israel left the land, then you find that the, all the enemies of God kind of took root in the land. So now that they're coming back in, God says, I want you to take the enemies, drive them out, or destroy them. That's the first question, first request. Number two, God says, now the second thing I want you to do is, I want you to teach the next generation who I am. Make sure that you're telling, my, make sure that you're telling your children about me. Make sure that you're telling your children about the miracles and all the things that I've done. Well, if you've been here in our series, then you'll remember, recall that neither one of those things have been accomplished by the children of Israel. Judges chapter number one actually records for us all of the enemies that are left in the land. You see, what had happened is the children of Israel had come in and instead of driving out or destroying the enemies, they just lived with most of them. 
They would allow most of them to stay, and eight of the 12 tribes actually just allowed their enemies to stay right there in the, in the midst of them. Now, for us, we might think, you know, uh, well, God, why, you know, why was it important for, you, for them to drive them out or destroy them? It was important for a number of reasons. One, God wanted them to have peace. Number two, it would be a way that God would actually bring them into a land that was their own and not shared with others. And then number three, along with the peace thing, God wanted to ensure their security and their safety. But they neglected to drive out or destroy the enemies. The second thing that they failed to do, Judges chapter 2 tells us, Judges 2.12 and 2.14 records for us that there arose up a generation that knew not God, and the generation that did God, that did know God, forsook him. Their children forsook God. So the two things God had asked them to do, drive out or destroy the inhabitants of the, the enemies of the land, and then teach me to others, they, they neglected both of them. Now, what we've been getting at through our series is if you or I were in God's place, I mean, I don't know what you would do, but I'd be like, you're done. I'm going to start over. But our God's not like that. No, here's what our God has. It's a key word in the entire book of Judges. It's found in Judges chapter 2 and verse number 16. The very first word in Judges 2.16 says this, nevertheless, nevertheless. Children of Israel, nation of Israel, they had given God partial obedience, which is in fact disobedience, and they had not taught their children who God was, and they had not uh, kept the, the work of God going. They had neglected God. Nevertheless, God never gave up on them. Aren't you thankful, and we mention this just about every week, Aren't you thankful that the times when you and I seemingly quit on God, God never quits on us? He relentlessly pursues his children. He relentlessly pursues his people. Well, if you go and you read the book of Judges, the Judges, uh, the, the, the whole next few chapters, chapter three, all the way to where we're going to be in chapter number nine, helps us see how God pursued his people. You see, what would happen is the enemies that were allowed to stay in the land, they would oppress and, and begin to oppress the children of Israel and, and uh, actually uh, subjugate them to slavery and different things like that. And so now you have the children of Israel uh, not living, or living in their own land, but they're not free in their own land. And so they would go and live in this slavery for a number of years, and then they would cry out to God, and God, he would send a deliverer, a judge to come. The very first judge that we saw, his name was Othniel. Othniel was a mighty warrior. He delivered the uh, children of Israel from the king of Mesopotamia. Following him was Ehud. Ehud delivered the children of Israel from fat Eglon, the king of the Moabites. Remember that story with the dagger and how Ehud drove it through his heart and, and uh, the, every, the whole thing went in, man. He was, he was just a big old dude. Whole thing went in and the children of Israel were delivered by the hand of Ehud. After him, we read about Deborah and about Barak and about Jael and how, they, how God delivered them from the hand of Sisera, the enemy of God. And then you can proceed and you would find that the next judge that we looked at was a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon was one and we forgot Shamgar. We, I didn't mention Shamgar. Shamgar was in there right after Ehud. Shamgar and the pointy stick, the ox goad, and how God used him to deliver the children of Israelites from the, the Philistines. Then you have this man Gideon and God would use Gideon against the uh, Midianites and the Amalekites, Gideon and his 300 men. And God did a great work through Gideon. 
But if you'll recall the last message two weeks ago, we saw that Gideon, he made a mistake. His mistake was Gideon stopped and he began to worship the victory rather than God who gave the victory. Instead of celebrating the good things that God had done and worshiping the God that, that had done them, Gideon began to worship and he set up that, uh, that ephod in his hometown, that idol, where they, people begin to worship the victory rather than the one who gave it. We learned a very valuable lesson there that good things happen in our lives and blessings come in our lives. And you and I choose if we're gonna worship the God that gave the blessings or if we're gonna worship the blessings themselves. And may we never, may we never come to the place where we're worshiping the work of God rather than the God of the work. Today we're coming and we're coming into Judges and chapter number nine. And as we get into Judges chapter number nine, we just need to, to know a few things. We need to remember that God, he hasn't given up on his people, but he has allowed his people to make their own choices. This is called the free will of man. God allows you and I to make our own decisions. You are not a puppet dictated by God. God knows, now listen, the sovereignty of God, because he is God and knows all, he knows the decisions you're going to make, and he will use different circumstances to help you and I be drawn or pointed to him, but God does not dictate the decisions in our lives. <clears throat> As we come to our passage before us today, I want to ask you if you've ever, ever looked back at your life and you've ever wondered this statement, you know... I wonder what might have been. I wonder what could have been. I wonder what would have happened if. Honestly, we all probably have those, don't we? And I, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if I stayed employed there. I wonder what might have happened if I wouldn't have said that. I wonder what could have, I wonder what could have happened if I made that investment. I've told the story, and uh, you've probably heard it before, but my parents, and of course, many of you praying for my dad, I'll tell you, thanks for praying for him. He got approved for the CAR T-cell transplant. It'll start, place, start taking place this Wednesday in Seattle. They'll withdraw those out. And so he sends his love and tells you, thanks for the prayers. Uh, but I remember one of my parents, uh, one of their what might have been opportunities. In Indiana, they grew up and they knew my dad and mom. They knew a lot of famous people growing up. It's just kind of weird. My dad knew different famous uh, athletes and basketball players. But one of the people they knew a long time ago um, was not the Colonel Sanders of KFC, but it was the original people who had the KFC recipe. It was from a diner in Indianapolis, Indiana, the, the KFC recipe that we eat now at KFC. If you go, I don't eat there very much, but if you go to KFC, that uh, fried chicken, that recipe was from a diner in Indianapolis, Indiana. And my parents went to church with the owners of that diner and the owners of that recipe. They knew them all growing up. And my dad, to this day, he's always like, you know what? You know, old Jim back in Indiana, he told me one time he had this fried chicken recipe and he's going to sell it. And he was looking for people to get in on the investment. And at the time I was just broke and I didn't have any money. And, I, and he says, I look back and I wonder what might have been if I would have got in on the fried chicken recipe. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder what might have been too, man. Come on, you know. 
Listen, we all have been there where we have situations we wonder what might have been. As I come to Judges chapter number nine, I believe that in Judges chapter number nine, we read about a person and we are going to ask the question today, I wonder what might have been. The person we're going to read about is Abimelech. And the what might have been is, I wonder what God could have done with Abimelech if Abimelech had been willing to let God work in his life. Because what we're going to see this morning is a man who had potential. What we're going to see this morning is a man who had power. What we're going to discover this morning is a man who had a persistence about him. But this was a man that failed miserably because of his own selfishness. I invite you to look with me at him. Judges chapter 9, verse number 1. Let's stand together. Judges 9, and we just stand to read the word together, give you a moment to stretch before I preach for the next hour and a half, and then I'm teasing. I want to look at Judges chapter... Yeah, you say that now, but in about 45 minutes, you're going to be like, when is he going to shut up? Judges chapter 9 and verse number 1, we read these words. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, now Jerubal, we remember, is Gideon. He went to, so Abimelech went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house and his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him threescore and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bereth, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the son of Jeroboam, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone. Notwithstanding, yet Jotham, or Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. Judges chapter 9, in the first five verses, we meet this man, Abimelech. And from the very get-go, any, any just casual reading of Judges 9, 1 through 5 would, lead the reader in, would leave the reader in disgust. Because here you have this man, Abimelech, who goes and uh, basically bribes people to follow him, kills 70 brothers, leaving only one alive, all so that he could assume the throne. What a selfish man. But as we start this morning, I can't help but look at Judges chapter 9 and the life of Abimelech. I can't help but look at it and ask what might have been. Man, what could God have done in the life of Abimelech or through Abimelech had Abimelech not been driven by his selfishness? We're going to ask that question this morning. We'll answer it, and I believe we'll learn some things together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a moment and just commit the next few moments to the Lord and ask him to speak to your heart. And maybe you this morning could just pray, God, please speak to me.
God, please speak to me. And then make the commitment that as he's speaking to you, that you're listening to him. Dear God, we come before you today and we pray that you would help us this morning to learn exactly what you want. I ask you, God, that you would just fill me with your spirit. Lord, I humble myself before you and I desire again to learn of you and to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that every person that's here would uh, find challenge from the message, from your word today. And then, Lord, if there's someone that is in here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their Savior. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. As we open up Judges chapter number nine, I want us to notice, first of all, today, what I'm calling an irrational decision. An irrational decision. When you look at this idea of an irrational decision, as our passage opens up, we're introduced to Gideon's son, Abimelech. The Bible calls Gideon Jerubal. So whenever you read Jerubal in, in uh, Judges chapter number nine, we know that it's Gideon. Well, uh, we find this young man, Abimelech. The story opens up with him going to the people of his mother's hometown. Uh, uh, Abimelech was the son of Gideon and of Gideon's concubine, uh, which would have been Abimelech's mom. She was from this town of Shechem. And uh, Abimelech goes and he, his plan is to become the leader of the people of Shechem. And I believe his plan all along was to try to become the leader of all of Israel. But he just started, he just started with the people of Shechem. It was a very selfish decision. And as you, been, as you and I read Judges 9, 1 through 6, we find that his decision, it was not made in a desire to help people lean or, or learn of God, lean toward God or learn of God. This was instead a decision that was trying to promote himself. As we continue reading, we discover that they, in fact, set him up as their leader. And they take 70 pieces of silver out of the worship temple of their god, uh, Baal-bereth. Now, Baal-bereth was kind of a split-off god that the Shechemites had made up themselves. It was not a deity that they had heard of from another land. It was one they kind of took some thoughts about Baal, and they took some thoughts about other gods, and they kind of just combined it into one and made their own worship place in this area, Baal-bereth or excuse me, in this area of Shechem, and it was the worship of this god, Baal-bereth. And then the Bible tells us that Abimelech, he took those 70 pieces of silver. And I love what the Word of God says. He hired vain and light persons. Vain and light persons. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he hired empty or worthless and light or unimportant people to him. That's what the word, the word light means, un unimportant. Vain, it means empty or worthless. You know what he did? He just went and he hired the lowlifes of Shechem. He hired the scum of the community. One man said it this way. He hired into his service vain and light persons, the scum and scoundrels of the country, men of broken fortunes, giddy heads, and prolific uh, lives. None but such would own him, and they were fittest to serve his purpose. Well, Why? Like leader, like followers. This author is saying Abimelech was a scum, and he hired scum. That's what, that's what he's saying, and that's what, that's what the author of Judges is helping us see. He hired vain and light persons, hired the lowest people of society to come and follow after him. Well, what does the Bible tell us that he does next? 
Well, he takes those people and he goes and he hunts down his siblings. Gideon, who had 70 sons, Abimelech being one of them, Jotham being one of them. So there's probably 68 others. And Abimelech goes and kills all of his brothers. Kills every one of them. All upon the same stone. Some people think, well, that would just be one stone. It would probably be one mountain area. All upon one area is where he killed all of them. Because if I'm, if I'm one of the brothers and I see 48 brothers piled up, I'm not going. I'm just saying, you know. So it's probably not one singular stone. Abimelech goes and he kills all of his brothers except for one, Jotham, who escapes. And the people of Shechem... They go, in verse number six, it says, all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech their king. So now he's not just a captain among them. Now he's their king. You know, as I start and as we look at this passage, I see this very irrational decision made by Abimelech. It's something that's made in complete selfishness. But can I just tell you this morning, before we judge Abimelech too much, we need to recognize that all of us have been there. We've all been to the place at a time when the decisions that we were making were totally focused upon us, and they were made irrationally. And just mark it down that selfishness leads to irrational decisions. A self-focused person makes decisions that are not the wisest. It's in, selfish, it's in selfishness that we often make that sarcastic comment to a spouse or to a boss or to a friend that we later regret. It's in selfishness that a believer often makes the irrational decision to step into sin, to go to that place, to be around those people or to uh, watch that or to spread that gossip. Those are all things that happen in selfishness because selfishness, it leads us to not thinking straight or right about a decision that should be made. And just as Abimelech's selfishness led to him making an irrational decision, your selfishness and my selfishness also leads to us making irrational decisions. And so I look this morning and I see an irrational decision, but then we're coming and I want us to see secondly what we're going to call an intrepid declaration. An intrepid declaration. Say, what does that mean? A courageous declaration. A A courageous outcry. If you were to go in our story, we would continue reading. And verse number seven says this. And when they told it, the it is that Shechemites had made Abimelech their king. When they told that to Jotham, the brother who escaped, he went and he stood in the mountain, in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. And then Jotham begins to speak to them, and and he gives to them an illustration. The illustration, we don't have time to get into it, but Jotham, in the illustration, he's trying to encourage the Shechemites. He's trying to encourage them back to rational thinking. He uses the illustration of an olive tree, a fig tree, and a vine, and then a thorn tree or a bramble. Now, again, we don't have time to get into all of the 
uh, uh, statements that Jotham says in this, but basically he comes to him and he says, hey, listen, if you were to go and ask an olive tree to be a, a, a king or a ruler, you would have the fruit of olives. If you were to ask a fig tree, you'd have the fruit of figs. If you were to go and get a vine, you'd have the fruit of the grapes and the fruit of the vine. Those would all be good things. But you've asked Abimelech to be your king. And like that, that's at, that uh, what that's like is that's like asking a bramble to be your king. Well, wait, what's that mean? That's like asking a thorn bush to be your friend. You know what's going to happen in the end? You're just going to get stuck. You're just going to get poked. You're just going to get hurt. And through this whole thing, Jotham, and what we just read there in verse number seven, toward the end of it, he's saying, hey, I'm trying to call you back to rational thinking. I'm trying to call you back to letting God rule you. Don't neglect what Gideon taught us. Don't neglect what Jeroboam did. Don't neglect the work that he's done. Shechemites, you are coming to a place where you're making a wrong decision. And Jotham was one that he came and he's trying to speak truth into their life. It's going to hurt you that you set up Abimelech as your king. Notice how he sums up his statement to the people. Skip down to verse number 19. Here's what Jotham says. He says, If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with, Jer sincerely with Jeroboam or with Gideon and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. So, hey, if this decision was the right decision, then rejoice and things are going to be hunky-dory. Verse 20. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the uh, men of Shechem and the house of Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went uh, to Beer uh, to, and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. I call this an intrepid declaration because in these verses, Judges, 7, or Judges 9, 7 through 21, Jotham has some courage to speak truth into the life of the Shechemites. He has some courage. Here they are. Abimelech's making an irrational decision. The Shechemites are making a wrong decision. And here's Jotham coming and saying, hey, listen, you need to choose wisely. Hey, you're making a bad decision with this. Real quick this morning, I just want to say, aren't you thankful for the people that'll come and speak truth into your life even when you don't want to hear it? Man, aren't you thankful for those folks? Probably every one of us can think of maybe a friend or a spouse or a loved one that every now and then they're the Jotham in our life. They come and they say, hey, listen, you're not making the wisest decision. It's someone who comes alongside us to encourage us to make right choices. Can I just say that that takes some courage for a person to do? And we all need to allow the Jothams to speak truth into our life. We need to allow people to encourage us towards the things of God and towards righteous decisions. And we need to understand the word of God. It says that when we hear that, that, uh, uh, or receive instruction, God says we're wise. Proverbs 9, 8, it says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. A rebu rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Man, wisdom says I'll receive instruction. Pride says I'll neglect instruction. 
Foolishness says, I'll decline instruction. Wisdom says, I'm going to take all of it that I can get. Well, in our passage, in our passage the Shechemites, they're not walking in wisdom. They're, they're not. They, they chose Gideon and they, uh, they dealt falsely with the house of, of, uh, of Gideon. Or excuse me, they chose Abimelech and they dealt falsely with the house of Gideon by allowing Abimelech and these vain and light people to go kill all the brothers. They knew what was taking place. They knew that this was probably going to come back and bite them in the end. They knew this was going to hurt them. And yet they still followed foolishness. And yet Jotham stood up and encouraged, said, hey, hey, you need to be thinking about the decisions you're making. Can I just encourage you when there's a Jotham speaking truth in your life, be wise and receive it. But then the second little bit of encouragement I want to give is that you should be a Jotham in someone's life. You should try to have your conversation and, and your words direct people in right decisions toward God. Man, this week, God might bring someone across your path that you have opportunity to impart unto them the truths of God. Man, don't overlook Jotham opportunities. Don't overlook opportunities where you could speak truth into someone's life. And the fact of the matter is this, that we should allow truth to be spoken into our life, and we should be a courageous voice that speaks truth into the lives of those around us. I should allow Jothams to speak, and I should be a Jotham to someone else's life. In our passage, we see the men of Shechem, Jotham comes to them, and if you continue reading, and we won't read the, the entire chapter this morning, but we'll preach through it. If you continue reading, you would find that the uh, Shechemites, they declined to listen to Jotham. Abimelech reigns over them for three years. And what the Word of God would lead us to believe, it would lead us to understand that God allowed a wrong spirit to come in between the children of she or the Shechemites and Abimelech. God kind of just let the consequences happen. He allowed the course to take its place. He allowed everything to just kind of follow as it will. And here's what he allowed to take place. He allowed the prophecy or the encouragement of Jotham to come to truth. So now, if you were to go and you read verse 22 down through verse number uh, 57, down through the end of the chapter, and we won't do all of it for time's sake, if we read it, here's what happened. Abimelech, the Shechemites, king and people in disagreement. The entire rest of the chapter. The people of Shechem, they begin to deal, the word of God says, treacherously with Abimelech. They didn't turn back to God. And instead, what we see is what we're going to call an ignorant determination. The Shechemites are just determined to make foolish choices. Abimelech is just determined to ruin his own life. I mean, you would think that the people of Shechem maybe would make a decision to turn back to God, but instead... Instead, they turn to another leader. Look at verse number 26. Verse number 26, it says this. And Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem uh, put their confidence in him. So now they're at war with, or they're at odds with Abimelech, and instead of turning back to God, they turn to this Gael. 
It says, and they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their god, Baal-bareth, and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Um, is, is not he the son of Jeroboam and Zebel, his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? And would to God this people were under my hand. Then would I remove Abimelech. And he, this is Gael still speaking, said to Abimelech, increase thine army, increase thine army and come out. So this man Gael steps up and he says, hey, you need to make me your leader. His phrase in there, he says, would to God that I was your leader. Some would read that and say, oh, so Gael is like, he's trying to be like a spiritual leader. No, this isn't like a, hey, I prayed about it and God, and, and you know, you guys need to do this, pray about this and fast about this and let's see if God's in this. This is him like almost swearing. Would to God that I was your leader. Only if, if God was, and he just kind of swearing about God. Saying if I was your leader, I would destroy Abimelech. He comes in on the scene. He says, hey, stop following Abimelech. Come, follow after me. And you know what happens? The people listen to him. Can I just tell you this morning that from Judges 9, 26 through 47, one of the things that we learn is simply this, that when we stop allowing the Lord to be our main influence, we will listen to any voice that speaks the loudest into our lives. The Shechemites, they had turned from God. Abimelech spoke loudly in their life. Hey, let's follow him. Gael now speaks louder into their life. Hey, let's follow him. And before we get too ahead of ourselves, you and I often can make the same mistakes. Because when we get our focus off of God, we will follow that which speaks loudest into our life. At times, it's work that speaks the loudest into your life. At times, it's the almighty dollar that speaks the loudest into your life. At other times, it's a hobby or a sport that speaks the loudest into your life. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a friend. We get the idea this morning that there are times when the throne of our heart, which should belong to God, we're just putting little gods on there, the God of finances, the God of that new car, the God of that new house, the God of... Why? Because that's what's speaking loudest into our life at that time. And can I just tell you that when we stop allowing the Lord to be our main influence, we're just going to be given, the scripture says it this way, we're going to be given to every wind of doctrine. We're going to be given, we're going to be tossed to and fro. We're going to be a double-minded man, James said it that way, and unstable in all of our ways. Why? Because our main influence is that which is speaking loudest into our life instead of the Lord. We need to be careful about the voices or about the things that we allow to influence our heart and our life. Well, the people of Shechem, they listen to Gale, and things only get worse. We read that the people of Shechem, within the people of Shechem, there were some who were faithful to Abimelech. This man, Zebel, was faithful to Abimelech. And so here's the story that Gael and the Shechemites, they come up with this plan to attack Abimelech. And Zebel, he goes and he goes to Abimelech and says, hey, you need to lie and wait here because Gael and the Shechemites, they're going to attack you. You know, there's this at, you're at odds against each other. And so now Abimelech, who's supposed to be leading the Shechemites, is going to war against the Shechemites, his own people. 
You know, as I was kind of thinking through this and studying, I was I often just try to figure out, okay, what can we learn from little tidbits of Scripture? Just little, little things like that. Gail and, and Abimelech now, I mean, Abimelech's supposed to be the leader, and they're, they're friends, they're supposed to go together. What can we learn from it? I thought this, that our selfishness will often turn us against the very people that we're supposed to be leading. Sometimes a dad's own selfishness in the home literally turns him against the family. Or a mom's selfishness within the house can turn her to make decisions that hurt the family, the very people she's there to lead and help. It hurts. You know what? If we catch a trend through this entire message, it's that selfish decisions always come back to hurt. Man, it it always, when we neglect God and go by selfishness, man, we are going to make wrong decisions decisions. That's what we see happening in here. We can find that in our passage, Shechem and Abimelech, they become enemies. They go to war at each other. And then because of the people of Shechem, they just go kind of from one bad influence to another. It seems like they just have this determination to make foolish decisions. They follow Abimelech, then they follow Gael. And notice where it gets them. Verse 45. Judges 9.45, watch where it got the Shechemites. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. Abimelech laid waste to the city. He destroyed the very people he was supposed to be leading. And we'll see in just a minute that he destroyed Shechem and actually all of the people of Shechem. But before we move on, I just want to want us to think about one thing, and that's this question. Why are people so prone into going from one bad decision to another bad decision? I think the answer is, in our passage, do we ever, in our passage, do we ever see once them saying, you know, what does God want us to do here? Do we ever see them referring to God's leadership in their life? No. In the entire passage, the only reference that is given to God, it happens twice. Jotham, when he's trying to speak truth, the words of God into people, that's the good instance. And then when Gael swears about God, would to God that I were your leader. Never once do we read God was involved in their decisions. No. You want to know why the Many people like Shechem just go from one bad decision to the next. It's because we leave God out of our decisions. And God is often left out of the decisions of people. We're so quick to make decisions without looking into God's word, seeking the help of godly counselors or uh, going to God in real and humble prayer. We like to blame God for decisions, but often we fail to really give God opportunity to guide our decisions and our decision-making processes. Can I encourage you, don't leave God out of your decisions. Make him an intricate part of your decision-making. Well, how do I do that? You seek him through his word. Man, God lays out his scripture for us, and his word is, listen, the Bible is literally God's word, God's truth, spoken into your life and mine. Well, what does God do? He uses his word and his Holy Spirit 
to guide us into all truth. That's John chapter 15, that the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, when the comforter has come, he will guide you into all truth. God guides through his spirit, but through the word of God. But many Christians, we're like the children of Shechem, we're like the Shechemites, that we neglect godly decisions because we neglect God in our decisions. Well, the old adage is, well, you know, I prayed about it. Well, pastor, I prayed about it. You know, I prayed about this. I had someone, I had, I had someone in my office say this, this to my face, Brother Mike. Pastor, I prayed about it, and God wants me to leave my spouse. I prayed about it. Now, some of you are like, well, what was, what was, the, what was going on? You know, what was all there? <clears throat> Let me give you a Bible principle now, if you're a person that you've been divorced, listen, we're not talking about the past. We're talking about the future, okay? Let me give you a little Bible principle that would help a person that would use that as an excuse. What God hath put together, let not man put asunder. Well, you don't know the story. You don't know the circumstance. You're right, I don't. But I do know that God says this. Let's try to work some things out. I do know that God says, hey, listen, I want divorce to be the last thing. I want, I want to see some things happen. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not talking or trying to, to, to hurt anybody's feelings this morning. I'm just simply saying we like to often blame decisions on God. Well, I prayed about it. We need to always, always seek God in his word, seek godly counsel, and then seek God through prayer. And when all of those things add up, you know what we'll find? We'll find God helping us make right decisions. You find the children of Shechem, you know what they're doing? They're not making right decisions. Why? God is a million miles from their decision-making process. Here's what Solomon said to his son. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll show you the steps to take when you trust in him, when you honor him. Proverbs 19, 20, 19, 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Man, my heart is tugged and pulled this way and that way, and I need God in my decisions. And the children of Shechem, they needed God in their decisions. But instead, they in selfishness, Abimelech in selfishness, they go to war with each other. And you find Abimelech destroying the people of Shechem. And then you know what else you find? You find the people of Shechem and people from the towns around there destroying Abimelech. Let's read the conclusion of the story in Judges chapter 9, verse 45, or 48 down through 55. It says, And Abimelech got him up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down the bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said unto the people that <clears throat> that were with him, what ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and her bow and uh, followed Abimelech and put them to the hold and set the hold on fire upon them so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also about a thousand men and women. So what had happened is as they're going to war, the men and women of Shechem, they flee into this uh, area where there is no escape and Abimelech goes and lights the front of it on fire so that everybody dies. Verse 50. Then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. Now he's just on a, a war path. Now he's just gonna go town to town. Verse 51. But there was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women, and all they of the city, and 
shut it, uh, and shut it to them, and gat them to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head, and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily to the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew me. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. Notice verse 55. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. I find that as an interesting end to the story. Abimelech goes to Thebes, this nearby city, tries to take control of it. And we read that as he's approaching, the people flee into a tower. And Abimelech's thinking, oh, I've got them now. And he goes close to the tower. And then it just says a certain woman, doesn't even name her. A certain woman throws a millstone, a stone that would be used for grinding wheat. I can kind of just see her going like this. And she drops it. You know what's funny? Is Abimelech had to be looking up. He had to be looking up. Why? Because he knew that a woman dropped it. He had to be looking up thinking, what's she doing up there? You know, why didn't Abimelech just let go? But he, he didn't. She drops it. It lands on his skull. He falls to the ground. Maybe when he's laying on the ground, he looks up and sees a woman hanging over and realizes it's her. He says, lest it be said that a woman killed me, armor bearer, thrust me through. And you know what's recorded for us? That his armor bearer killed him because of the woman. <laughs> his... His desire was, I don't want it to be written down in the pages of history that I would die by the hands of a woman. And yet it's here that he died by the hands of a woman. I love the story. I love this lady, this, this, uh, one, this woman of righteousness. I don't know, we don't know if she, what, who she was, but we know that she stood up, drops this millstone, it lands, it kills him. And in all of this, what I discover lastly this morning is what we're going to call an irrefutable dominance. An irrefutable dominance. You know, someone would read Judges 9 and say, now why is the story of Abimelech recorded for us? You know, I mean, here we are, this great book of Judges, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Barak, Jael, Gideon, all these great warriors of God doing great things for God. And then you read about Abimelech. Selfish decisions leading people wrongly, leaving God out of decisions, leading people to, to leave God out of decisions. Notice verse 56. Here's why it's recorded for us. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father in slaying his 70 brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Let me ask you, you ever been around somebody that they're the type of person they just always have to have the last word. You know, you'll be talking and saying something and they're the ones that they just, they just gotta, I gotta get the last word in. Can I just help us understand this morning that in our passage, God always gets the last word. And while God allowed Abimelech and the Shechemites and Gael and all of them to make their choices, in the end, in the end, God made it right. 
In the end, God brought it all back around. Why? Here's why it, what it comes down to. Because God will not share his throne with anything or anyone. Abimelech was leading the Shechemites to worship him. Gael was leading the Shechemites to worship him. And God said, no, no, they should be worshiping me. You see, Shechem would be the area of Samaria, even though we don't recognize the name, like the tribe of the Shechemites. These would be Israelites that lived in the city of Shechem. These would be people of God that were supposed to know better. God won't share his throne with anyone. You know what? When we come and we see this, what I call that irrefutable dominance, it's just the simple fact that all throughout time, people have selfishly served themselves with hope of becoming something great. But God says, I'm not going to share that throne. I alone will be worshipped. And while God is merciful, while he is giving, while he is loving, we must also remember that God is holy. And when his people put something or someone on the throne of their heart, God says, I will allow things through circumstances to happen to turn you back to me. Even in the death of Abimelech, God was pursuing his people. Even in the wrongful leadership of Gael, God was working to pursue his people, trying to turn them back to worship him. Maybe, may we be reminded this morning, as one songwriter said, our God is victorious. He always wins. He always wins. I'm thankful. Aren't you thankful for the book of Revelation? Man, you know what I'm thankful for this morning? I'm like the psalmist, you know, and the, the psalmist wrote, God, why do, why, do bad, why do bad people prosper? The psalmist said, God, why does it seem like culture just keeps going further and further from you and, and nothing's happening? The book of Revelation says, God wins. And people may live their Abimelech lives and the Shechemites may worship and, and go after false gods. But in the end, God says, I won't share my throne with anybody. Now, before we close this morning, I just want us to go back to the question that we asked a little bit ago. The question of what might have been. And I want to read to you Judges chapter 10 and verse number 1. And I want us to discover something. Judges 10.1, the very beginning of it, it says this, And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel, Tola. After Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel, Tola. You know what Judges chapter 1 leads us to believe? It leads us to believe that Abimelech was supposed to defend Israel. It was supposed to have read, Abimelech defended Israel, and after Abimelech, there arose another defender, Tola. But instead, we don't read about Abimelech defending Israel. I just wonder this morning, what did God have in store for Abimelech? I wonder what might have been in Abimelech's life if he would have chosen to follow God's plan instead of his own selfishness. You see, Abimelech, he missed what God wanted for him and for the people of Shechem because he was driven by his own heart. And here's where I want us to finish today. When we look at the story of Abimelech, would you be challenged, would I be challenged to make the decision? Make the decision that you are not going to look back over this, this coming week and wonder what might have been if I would have fill in the blank. I wonder what might have been if I would have 
gotten up and spent time with God in the mornings. I wonder what my day could have held for me if I would have stepped out by faith and made that decision. I wonder what would have been if I would have talked to that coworker about God. I wonder what would have been if I would have invested Christ into my children today. I wonder what would have been if I would have in, spoken words of encouragement instead of words of gossip around that coworker. I wonder what might have been if I would have fill in the blank. There's going to be a lot of people that get to the end of their lives and look back and wonder what might have been. But you know what? You want, to, you want to know how we avoid looking back at our life and wondering what might have been? Is if we avoid making the decision today of following selfishness. You want to you get to the end of 50 years or 70 years or 80 years and look back and not wonder what might have been? It starts today by saying, God, I'm going to follow you today. God, I'm going to make you a part of my decisions today. God, I'm going to put you as a part, an intricate part of each and every day. Why? Because I don't want to be an Abimelech. I don't want to live my life in selfishness. I don't want to look back and wonder what might have been. Lastly today, I want to encourage you that if you've never made the decision to receive Jesus as your Savior, will you make that decision? Don't look back and wonder what might have been if I had received Christ into my life. Can I tell you right now, there's many, many people in hell looking back and wondering what might have been if I would have trusted Christ. But here you are, and if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you still have an opportunity you have an opportunity today to understand that Jesus Christ loves you. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. At the end of his life, he died upon the cross. And the reason he died upon the cross was because of your sin and my sin. And when he died upon the cross, he took our sin upon him. And the Bible says that he laid his life down. No man took it from him. And then he was buried. And three days later, to prove that he was God, he rose from the dead. Well, why did he do all of that? He did it for you and he did it for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, the whole reason that Jesus came was to die upon a cross for you and for me. And today, the decision that you need to make is to receive him into your life to ask him for that forgiveness. The Bible says that if we, can, that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was giving us a gift, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the gift of a relationship with God, the gift of hope and peace and joy. He was giving that to us. And you know what we have to do with that gift? We have to receive it. I wonder today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, would you make the decision to receive him? If you do know Christ as your Savior, let's not look back over this next week and wonder what might have been. Instead, let's incorporate God on every decision we make this week so that we could look back and say, I'm glad I did, not what might have been. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.